Hey, everybody. Welcome to Ultimate Insider, Bear Insider's podcast. I am Mike Pulaski, and it was nice to get a bye week last week. Get a little time off. Time to recuperate, kind of regenerate after that Utah loss. It was a tough one back there. Seemingly a game that the Bears could have won, and a very frustrating loss, both for coaches, players, obviously for staff, uh, and for alums as well. So we'll talk about that game. I'll talk to head coach Justin Wilcox coming up here shortly. And we'll just break down real quickly what's going on in that game. Later on in the week, I will have a preview of the USC Trojans, formidable team coming into town. But today, let's talk about the Utah Utes. And this was a game that I think the Bears let one slip. And I say that because there were opportunities all throughout this game. There was a missed opportunity on the opening drive where Fernando Mendoza and Jay Knott couldn't quite hook up on the wheel route down the sideline, really close. Jaden Knott, obviously a running back, and he got he got pressed by a corner. So not really a wheel, but a go route. But he got pressed by a corner, and as he got above the corner behind the coverage, he ran turning facing the quarterback rather than sprinting coming out of it. I think Fernando Mendoza expected him to take off coming out of that and have a little more space, and so the ball just went off Jaden Knott's fingertips. So right there for what could have been a touchdown, missed it. And there were several plays just like that during the game. In all, I believe I counted five opportunities for explosive plays where the Bears could have either picked up touchdowns, like that one, or at least huge chunks, 30, 40 yards at a pop, and they missed it. Dropped balls happened a couple times. There were uh, plays where a ball, one ball got tipped and where it could have been a huge explosive play turned into an interception. So a huge one right there. Times when offensive linemen or receivers taking bad blocking angles missed on what could have been great plays. And that's there's a bunch of little things. It wasn't one huge glaring thing, but what it becomes as one big piece is missed opportunities. And the Bears missed a ton of opportunities on offense. Offensively, numbers speak for themselves. 254 total yards of offense. Not a great day. Utah's a very good defensive team, but had you hit just half of those explosive plays, you'd be closer to 370, 360, somewhere in there because there was some huge yardage in those explosive plays. So that's a tough one. When you, when you, those are the uncaptured yards, right? The hidden yards that you don't see but should have happened. Uh, Fernando was on his reads, I thought. I thought he was reading the game really well. And as I went back and watched film, Fernando Mendoza is an absolute warrior in the pocket, taking shots, staying in to deliver the football on the wheel route again to Jade Knott out of the back, uh, backfield. I will put this up on my YouTube channel this week. But they found a matchup because they had outside backer defensive end type that had to play Jay Knott when he swung out of the backfield on the rim or the rail route. And the Bears got that matchup. Mendoza knew he was going to get hit, but he stood in there, took it, and delivered that ball anyway. And so he is an absolute warrior in the pocket. He is making the right reads for the most part. From time to time, he can be a little late on reads and cause himself problems, but he is a young quarterback. So for a young quarterback to be at the level that he's at playing right now, it's uh, it's a testament to how hard he's worked. So I'm glad to see Fernando playing as well as he is. Uh, could get some help from the receivers, could make some catches, some of those big catches we talked about. 
offensive line uh, could help out as well. But again, it's got to be a whole unit. That's a beauty of football and the curse is that it's an 11-man sport. And if 11 dudes are not pulling on the rope or not doing their thing, are not executing their assignment as well as possible on every single play, there's going to be a breakdown somewhere. And the Bears broke down too many times during that game. Only 66 rushing yards on the gate on the day, which is not a good total for rushing yards, obviously. Bears would like to have run the ball for more. They had been good running ball for more, and they'd been efficient running the ball. They were not in this game. And a huge part of it is that Utah had box numbers that were much better for passing than they were for running. And so in the RPO game, you pull that ball and you make the throw. Bunch of throws, bunch of balls in the air, but not a ton of running opportunities. 66 yards kind of says that. Five sacks on the day against that offensive line. Give credit to Utah. They're very good up front. You know they're very good up front. They play man behind it and they come and get you. But the offensive line needs to do better. They need to protect Mendoza just a little bit longer, a beat longer, and he will get you in good positions. Five, you can't give up five sacks. 40 yards uh, of sack yardage for that Utah defense. And so that's a rough one as a quarterback to be hit that many times. Uh, I think they had 11 total quarterback hits. So that is also tough as well. Seven penalties. Many of them were pre-snap penalties. So those are mental errors. Cannot have that. That uh, you're giving away yardage. You're giving away downs, really. You're, you're turning the ball over. So those always put you behind the chains. That is a tough way to play. Cannot have those penalties. Third down conversions on offense were pretty tepid. 33.3%. Not good. And you have to be better than that. A championship level is 45%. 40 should be a minimum to execute if you expect to win in a game. And so 33.3%, not good. Not a not a good uh, number for the Bears. So they have to get better at third down as well. And then, of course, the two turnovers. One was the tip ball I talked about earlier. Fernando Mendoza back there. Had an open receiver. Would have been an explosive play. I believe it was Taj Davis. Uh, on the dig or in or slant route, and they were clearing for it. So there was space there. He saw it, threw the ball, and it got tipped at the line of scrimmage. And so it ended up getting picked off because it ended up behind the receiver. But he had the right read. He was going to the right receiver. You know, as a quarterback, you can't keep guys' hands down. So the offensive line needs to get those guys' hands down, make sure they pay if they're going to jump, and make them not want to put their hands up on the next go-around. But... uh, Sometimes those things happen. Tip picks happen. I had them happen to me at Arizona State my senior year. I had one as well. So things happen. Later on, uh, left tackle got beat, took kind of a bad set, and got beat for a sack, and it was a huge hit on Fernando. Jarred the ball loose, got the turnover on the fumble. And so that's what that's what Utah does, but you – cannot let guys have clean hits on your quarterback like that so that is a tough one as well for the offense for the Bears defensively Bears had zero sacks in this game this is a defense that's had a hard time figuring out how to put pressure on the quarterback how to get after the quarterback and in the last three Pac-12 games they have not had any sacks whatsoever and so That's something they're going to have to correct. I think part of that may be a little bit worried about going zero coverage because once you go zero, you're in trouble. You leave the back end exposed. And so if you don't get home, 
that means the quarterback's going to have a shot to find a mismatch and make that throw. But at some point, you've got to figure out a way to at least get in the quarterback's head and rattle him around. And so I would expect potentially more zero coverage, more secondary blitz or extra dog blitzes, some games up front, something to create that pressure, especially this week coming up against USC. For Utah, the Bears were unable to stop the run. 317 yards rushing for the Utes. And so that is a tough one. Now, obviously this week, Jackson Sermon out for the Bears. I think that makes a huge impact. He's the cornerstone of your defense. He was the heart and soul out there, the commander, the leader, the guy that got everybody the right checks, the right moves, the whole nine yards. Plus, he was just an outstanding physical player across the board. So losing Jackson Sermon hurts out there, but 317 rushing yards. The next guy up has to perform and has to play, and the whole defense has to play and, and make plays. Utah had not been very good in the rush game. They decided to activate Sione Vaki, who was actually their leading tackler on defense. He was a safety, but they decided to make him a running back in this game slash slot receiver because they got him a couple passes too. And he had 15 rushes for 158 yards on the day, including that big 72-yarder in the game. So that rushing stat is tough. Utes also, by the way, held the ball for 37 minutes to Cal's 20 what does that make it? 23 minutes, 24 minutes. So that is a lot of time to hold on to the football uh, in a game. And it literally, they out they out uh, possessed in terms of time of possession, the Bears by one entire quarter of a game, 15 minutes. So that's tough when they're holding the ball like that, putting drives together, running the ball for 317 yards. That will do it. The other thing, too, Cal's defense gave up, or you can say Utah's offense created a 58% conversion rate on third down. You keep hearing me go back to that stat. I think a couple of the biggest stats to tell you how your team is doing, one turnover-takeaway ratio, Bears were minus two in this game. So Utah was plus two, obviously. And that third down conversion, 58% on third down, means you are possessing the ball, you are keeping the ball, you're moving the chains. Most often, it means that you're staying on schedule during your set of downs. And so Utah was really good, almost 60% third down conversions. And again, the Bears, zero takeaways in this game. So zero sacks, zero takeaways, and giving up 58% third down conversion. The Bears, again, missed opportunities. They had the quarterback, Bryson Barnes, hemmed in several times. And sometimes he got out, got passes away, escaped, got free. Um, and just made things happen. Now, you come to see the following week, obviously last weekend, Utah beats USC. So it's it's not a bad football team, a good football team. And the offense has found its way, just started finding its way against the Bears up in Salt Lake City uh, two weekends ago. So their defense, very good. We talked about that. Kyle Whittingham is a defensive guy. Morgan Scaly is one of the best defensive coordinators in the country. And so you expect that going in. But the Bears need to do better on offense. They need to take advantage of opportunities. And then defensively, they need to get off the field. They need to make those tackles on third down to get off the field and then create those takeaways. They were doing it well early in the season. They need to get back to those ways of getting that ball back for the offense. Then the offense needs to execute. That has to happen. So that's my breakdown on Utah. I think, you know, I I can't single any one person out, but the team wide missed opportunities is a huge theme for this last Utah game. And really the last two games missed opportunities. The Auburn game also missed opportunities. 
And so you have to find a way to shore that up. I will talk to Coach Wilcox about that because at this point in the season, something's got to change. You can't keep doing the same thing and expecting a different result that's not going to happen. So there needs to be a pattern interrupt. Something needs to happen to, to shake this team up, to get them to start dialing into every single play. And I get it. You know, as coaches, you want to love your team. I'm a coach. I, I want to love my team. As I'm a Cal guy. I want to love this team. But they need to pick their game up. They cannot keep playing at that same rate, that same uh, pattern of missing opportunities when they present, dialing into every single play, getting your focus right for every single play is so essential. And they need to find a way to make that happen. I'll talk to Justin about what he did during the bye week to make that happen. So right now, let's talk to head coach Justin Wilcox and get his thoughts on that Utah game. Joining me now, head coach Justin Wilcox. And coach, you've had a bye week. Now you've looked at the film. Talk about that Utah game. We haven't been together for a week. Talk about that Utah game. Let's just kind of wrap that one up. Yep. Um, very much, very much uh, uh, in our mind, a winnable game. Unfortunately, we just um, too many issues. Uh, you know, when you look at defensively, the missed tackles, that was the number that showed up. I think we were right around 20. And not just the number, but the moments. Um, we had probably – two or three sack opportunities where you're going to get them way behind the sticks um, where we didn't get them on the ground, the quarterback. We had a reverse where we could have tackled them and created a second and extra long. Um, third down and five on a QB scramble. We had a guy clean, didn't make the tackle. Fourth down and two. Uh, we have a guy off the edge, clean, didn't make the tackle. So if you miss that many tackles, um, regardless of what you do, it's going to be hard to – play good defense. Um, and then late in the game, you know, uh, we had come off a missed field goal, which was an issue. And now we're forced into basically goal line zero to try and get the ball back. And we misfit it and the guy goes for 70, you know? And so that was, uh, the issue defensively, offensively, the turnovers that led to touchdowns. Um, you know, early in the game, we had the tip, I think it was the second quarter. We had the tip ball. Um, it was going to be a big play. But tip ball interception led to a score, and then uh, late uh, start of the second half. Excuse me, you know the sack fumble resulted in a touchdown. So uh, special teams, the missed field goal was an issue. Uh, our punter is playing very well, I will say that. Uh, but ultimately, the middle of the game, the middle eight minutes, the last four minutes of the first half, first four minutes of the second, and then even with that, we played poorly in there. We had a dropped. Uh, explosive and or maybe touchdown uh, at the end of the half. Um, and then at the uh, seven minutes and 50 seconds to go, we're going to kick field goal to go down by a score. If we do that, we kick off, play regular defense, get the ball back, have a chance to drive and score and go for the – and win the game. Um, and uh, anyway, real frustrating, honestly, uh, just because those are things we feel like we're – we're able to do, we're not doing it. And so our job is to identify why and then hold the players accountable to getting the job done. No doubt. And, and you and I talk about this all the time. I talk about it with Justin on the air all the time. It's usually five to eight plays that really swing the difference in a game, right? You can identify a bunch of missed tackles, but it's usually five to eight plays. You started on defense. There's, you know, the big miss sacks. Those are huge plays when you don't put them behind the change so you can do different things on defense. I come at it, obviously, as a quarterback from the offensive side of the ball. I look at it. I've got six plays that changed the course of that game. You talked about a couple of them, but 
missing Jade Knott on that initial pass, mm-hmm. right? You have him. He's not sprinting after initial contact. Just a little miscommunication between quarterback and running back. That changed the whole momentum from play one in that game. So that's a big one. There's three other opportunities for explosive plays in that game. Uh, you have Maven Anderson on the slot fade. You have Taj Davis on the spike or over route. That That's a huge play. And so some opportunities to make some huge plays there. And then some offensive line play issues where tackles aren't in position, right? Your tackle takes a bad set. He gets beat off the edge, sack, fumble. Tough one. That's a tough one. Uh, offensive line taking bad angles and you guys have to punt. You're out on downs. Receivers, obviously, as well, they're not blocking. So how do you clean up those little things, those five to eight plays that we talk about every week? How do you change that at the end of these uh, games? Yeah, you got to look at, is there themes? Is it uh, position-driven? Is it uh, player-driven? Um, obviously, the drop balls, that's an issue, something we have to address. Um, the miscommunicate, the uh, the missed opportunities. Uh, I, I think the, the thing to really consider is, you're exactly right. You can always kind of, for, mo- for the most part, drill a game back to four or five, six plays yeah. that were the difference. And you always have to assume it's the next one because you right. never know until the game's over, well, which ones were they? And uh, so that so that is like, so not, the uh, next let's one. stay on that point because yep. that is that is the pinnacle of high-performance athletic thinking. This very moment is the moment that makes the difference, mm-hmm. period. Re- regardless of whether you have to be gap sound as a linebacker and I've got to be backside B and that's it, or as a receiver, I'm running that spike route and I've got to make the catch with my hands in bad position. But I have to make that catch. Mm-hmm. Even if it's even if I have to turn and do something where I, I want to, you know, I want to catch it and run, but maybe I can't. I just have to ensure that catch for the explosive play, which changes momentum. So getting that type of thinking into a team is is boy that's the pinnacle of coaching right that's that's the high performance piece and that's what we, you and I talk about this literally every week so I apologize for harping on that but how do you now get this across to your guys they have the proof that if they don't do it they don't succeed how do you get that across we're showing them you know there is a show me generation and uh uh putting it on tape and showing them the difference between winning and losing is like nobody likes to lose. Everybody's frustrated when you lose. You get, you know, you're disappointed and all those things. And there's chatter about this, that, and the other. It's, it's like, well, okay, let's just, let's take the emotion out of it. And let's look at the actual, let's look at the plays that kept us from winning, winning the game. And, or when you win the game, here are the plays that we made that helped us win the game. And so uh, showing them and putting it on video taking that out to the practice field and drilling the uh, tackling, the uh, the routes, the timing, the catching. Um, mental fortitude has a lot to do with this. The ability to stay plugged in because you, you said it, I've said it. It's the next play. It's the next play. It's the next play. And so I know that's simple in concept, but as you know, people get tired and not everybody's built with the same mental toughness. So developing that mental toughness where you can do that because, you know, for most people, they can't. They can't do that for 50, 70, 80, 90 snaps a game and I'm tired and it's a little hot and whatever. You know, my my foot hurts. Somebody's trying to kick your ass the whole time. Yeah, the other guy's trying to do the same thing. So yeah. it's a war of attrition. 
at that point. And then it's truly about that mental toughness. Of can you focus over and over and over again and do nor do the the little things right, make the routine plays over and over and over, as opposed to let me make this splash play and then I'll, you know, the next 10 might be hit and miss. Like it, you can't win with that. And so um, explaining it, showing it. I also think, you know, recruiting the right type of people, developing the right type of people, what the expectation is in your program, in your position room for that individual, what is allowed, what we either coach or allow to happen. Like those are real things. And so um, those are all things that we discuss. And uh, obviously we need to find ways to get to the players and also look at ourselves schematically and say, okay, are we doing the right things? Are we drilling the right things? Are we asking them to do things they can do? And if they know what to do and how to do it, and they're not quite getting it done, well, why not? What is the issue that we're uh, missing? And so I think uh, all those things happen as we're working through the season. Yeah. And, and sometimes, so teams, people, human beings habituate things, right? We make things habits, things become habits and you're mid season right now. And, and, Without saying this team is in a habit forming, but sometimes you have to have a pattern disrupt to change these things. Mm -hmm. Is there a pattern disrupt that you put on these guys? Is there, hey, your job's on the line? Is there sometimes, I mean, I hate it as a player, but sometimes it needs to be shocking. Sometimes you need to be aware of the reality of what happens if you don't perform. Yeah, playing time is the first, absolutely. And I, I do believe, you know, deep down, nobody wants to go out there and miss a tackle, drop a pass, miss a block. Nobody wants to do that. However, there has to be consequence. Um, and it's our job to help them improve. And if they if they either don't know what to do or don't know how to do it, that's a coaching error. Um, if they're not able to do it physically, because there's things that we ask guys to do are physically demanding. And if they're not physically able, um, then that's on us for putting them in that position. Um, but ultimately something has to change, either how we're communicating it or the person has to change how they're approaching it or you change the the individual. And that means, yeah, are there people who are gonna get more opportunities? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. This is a, uh, we want everybody to improve and um, feel good about their role on the team, but that's not realistic when you have, you know, 85 or 100, 115 players and you know, there's 11 on the field at once. So not everybody's going to always be happy. But you know, we talk about this all the time. If you're not happy in your current role, uh, then you have to do something about it. You know, the better you are in your current role, the quicker it's going to uh, grow and you'll have a new role. So uh, acknowledging that um, and giving them some instruction on how they can improve their situation. I think that's key. Yeah, people are always looking to kind of be comfortable in the spot that they are, but you need to be completely uncomfortable when you're playing at this level because every snap, like we said, you have to be so focused into what you're doing. And it's the the concept is, you know, grow where you're planted, be great where you are, take advantage of the opportunities you get. If you get four snaps a game, do those at 100% every single time and get better and finally win that spot. And if you're the guy that has that spot, know that everybody's coming for it. So yeah. absolutely essential. How much defensively, does not having Jack Sermon in there hurt you? Uh, that'd be a hard thing to measure, Mike. It, it It's not ideal when you lose your team captain and all cornerstones. I linebacker. Yeah. yeah. That's not ideal. You know, same on at the offensive line, you know, with Sendo. But yeah. it's part of the game. Um, and it's probably it's not one person that has to step in and take over. It's a collective effort. And not just at his position, but all positions. So we need more out of... Ricky Correa and Brett 
and Miles Jernigan and Xavier and uh, Caleb Elarn Zor and Craig and all that, you know, like we need more out of everybody. It's got to be a collective effort. Um, that's just, it's an unfortunate part of the game, but yeah. Does it, does it matter? Of course it matters. Do we have control over it? Nope. Yeah. So, okay. We turn the page now, right? We got kind of Utah. We got the bye week in. What was your focus in the bye week? What, what did guys do? Was it cleaning up some injuries? Obviously cleaning up some plays. We just talked about that, but what was the focus? Yeah. Coaching <clears throat> self-scout. Okay. Uh, a plan to implement what we learned in self-scout development of the players who haven't got as many reps and USC prep. Okay. That's what coaches were focused on players. It was, uh, for the high rep guys, they were still practicing. We took the hitting off of them. We ran, uh, we got, we got specific work done, you know, for the DBs, for the receivers, O-lines on some sets and identifications, QB. Uh, so everybody had something specific to work on. And then uh, we started with USC prep. And then for the lower rep guys, they were in pads and we we worked and we got better. We were kind of working on foundational things, you know, in terms of schematics so they could go out there and team reps, seven on seven, one on ones. Um, so we got all that accomplished because you still have enough practice time to do all of that. And we went Monday through Thursday. And then on Friday, they had a workout. Then they had the weekend to themselves to kind of regroup for the for the uh, home stretch here. And uh, coaches went out recruiting on, on Friday and Saturday. How much do you think at this point in the season does a bye help you or hurt you? Um, I, I always hated bye weeks. Like, yeah, I want to just stay in the rhythm and keep going and do do your thing. But But is that part of the pattern disrupt that we just talked about is does that help you kind of change the pace so that you can now redirect guys yeah absolutely uh i do think i think there are moments when you look at it like God, i wish we would just keep playing this week i thought this was for some of that disruption for some of these you know hard conversations and real you know honest brutally honest uh, evaluations that were going on uh with our units uh, with the team, with our units, and with the individuals, I think that was important because it's not all uh, when you're, you know, when you're not winning and, and not performing like you feel like you're capable. It's not all easy to hear. So I thought that was uh, good to go through that, um, and also good to get some uh, some guys' bodies, you know, recovered a little bit, and then you know get a couple extra days to work on USC. So speaking of bodies recovering, tell me about Fernando's health. Um, I, I watch him as a quarterback, and what a warrior in there! It's like people, you know, people see the ball thrown and they look away and they're watching it downfield. He's getting smoked a lot because of the RPO game and just kind of the style of this offense. He's not a dude that runs at first opportunity. He hangs in the pocket and makes the throw, and and at great risk of bodily injury at that point. I know because I've been in that spot. But uh, he he does some really nice things back there as a quarterback that I'm really enjoying watching. So how's his health? And talk about his play. He's doing great. Um, and you hit it. Like, he is tough, man. I mean, the first touchdown to Jaden, he hung in and hung in. Yeah. Put it right on him. Uh, because He got the, smoked right at the end. Dropping in. You know, he knew he was going to get hit. And he. I think that when you watch a guy – 
that just makes that play, you know right then what he's about. And then you watch another quarterback who's in that situation at some point, and either the ball comes out or he jumps backwards and it's inaccurate ball. And it's, I mean, they're just two different things. Yep. So you really, in one play, can tell a lot about a guy. Uh, and that's who that's who Fernando is. I, I you know, I'm going to get on him about, um, you know, some of the run stuff. And when he's scrambling around, he hasn't, you know, some guys <laughs> have a tendency to kind of be able to contort their body and not take big hits. My man, Fernando, it. once in a while, he takes all of it. And so yeah. I'm gonna, we're working with him on, okay, you know, when it's first or second down and you can not take a hit, let's not take the hit. Yeah. You know, create third, the angle. Yeah. So we're, I think he's somewhere he can improve is learning when to say when and not take the extra shot. And then also doing what he did on that, on that play. Or if it's third and you got to get the first, you know, because I know where he's, his heart's at. I mean, I think oh, we yeah. all can see that. You can see that as I mean, if you watch film, you can see it as big as can be, right? Not just watching the game live because the camera's cut away, but you, uh, if you watch film, this dude is a warrior. Period. Mm -hmm. I'll talk to him about not taking those hits because I was the same dude early on. I'll show him the X-rays of my neck, and that'll change. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But he's a stud. So I, I love watching him uh, at that quarterback position. I think a lot of a lot of bright future ahead of him. So yeah. really good football player. So that's Coach Wilcox, and you hear they were dialed into. Self-correction, correcting coaches first, figuring out what players were doing, how to get the assignment stuff figured out. Uh, and then, you know, personnel is personnel. You have who you have for the season. So either you make moves, guys have to step up, and you go next guy up if somebody's not getting it done, if mentally, emotionally, they are not making the plays they need to make, physically on the field because it's a mental thing, then next guy needs to step up. So it's a huge piece of it. Like I said, pattern interrupt key right now. You need to shake them and figure out how you make them stop making those simple mistakes to give up those missed opportunities because those kill you. Five to eight plays a game are what kill you. So having that mindset, understanding how to self-correct, so essential at this point in the season. The Bears need to get a big dub and getting one against USC would go a long way to the Bears' confidence. So... Tough game coming up. I will have a preview of that coming up as well. I'm also going to get a podcast done at some point, hopefully this week, maybe next week, with former kicker, my teammate, and now Cal Hall of Famer, Doug Bryan. So that'll be fun as well. Until then, I am Mike Pulaski for Bear Insider Ultimate Insider Podcast. I'll talk to you again soon. Go Bears.